Will you turn in your Bible with me, please, to John chapter 9? Um, as soon as my daughter Nora here saw Mike, she said, Daddy, is there a video? Is there a video, Daddy? I said, not yet. So we're all, Mike, we're all excited to hear all the updates, but we're so blessed that you're back. Thanks. Safe and doing well. Thanks. We're just giving glory to God for all the work you're doing. It's amazing. It's awesome. Praise Jesus. John chapter 9. In this passage, uh, we're going to read a little chunk of it today, this chapter. And John has written his gospel so that people would know that Jesus has come from the Father, that Jesus is the Son of God and that salvation is through him. That's John's whole goal. It's really interesting to see about John. Uh, this is the John who was very close to Jesus, who, who reclined upon him, who was best friends. And so his gospel, when I say the word gospel, I mean we know the gospel, right? All the gospels tell the gospel. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are each telling an account, a gospel, of Jesus Christ and what he's done. And so in this account of Jesus, he has a specific emphasis, and that emphasis is that we would believe. So the context of John chapter 9 is that Jesus has said some very bold statements. And these bold statements are being the light of the world. And in the Jewish culture, if you say things like, I am, you're using the words that God uses to describe himself. Now, we, everybody says that. Hey, are you cold? I am cold. Right? That's not how Jesus is using it. Jesus is using words in a specific way that people understood and were, uh, and were upset by the fact that Jesus was equating himself with the Father, with God. He's making himself divine. So much so that Jews, and especially the Pharisees who were the religious leaders, these are the Princeton-educated priests, if you will, of the time, were picking up stones to stone him to death right on the spot. And somehow Jesus slips away. So John chapter 8, these things are happening, which are dangerous and big and giant statements. In fact, he even tells the Pharisees at one point that they are following their father, Satan, and he's following the Lord. So they don't like that a lot. And he's telling them that at the temple where they work. So imagine somebody coming into your office and being like, hey, you're the devil. And then, but he's got followers, and, and your followers are leaving you to go to him because he just did miracles. And so... Who's really real here? And that's the question is, and John's helping us understand, can we believe that Jesus really is the Son of God? And the answer is yes, we can. And so with that context, we're going to come into John chapter 9. Um, <clears throat> as we read this, I want you to think about this. You know, I, um, I've been to the hospital a lot of times, and COVID's made things kind of weird with going to the hospital. There was a time there um, where uh, I wasn't allowed to go, and you couldn't go in, and We've all had family members that have had things happen. You can only have one visitor a day and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I, actually had a, I actually had a friend of mine who's a seminary professor who's talking to a group of pastors. And he, uh, he started off and he said, hey, how does it feel in one stroke of a pen to be called non-essential immediately? You know, for all the pastors, because we couldn't go do things pastors normally do, like go to the hospital when somebody's in trouble. And so it's made it kind of weird. Um, and... Prior to COVID, though, I was in the hospital one time with a family, and they had a kid who was sick. And the dad was uh, pacing around, and they had just received some bad news about surgeries that needed to happen, things that happened. This was years ago. And so the dad's walking around, and he's not talking to me. He's sort of just praying. And he had this question. He said, he said what did I do to deserve this? What did, what did I do to deserve this for my child? What did she do to deserve this? And that question is just pounding in his mind as he's trying to wrestle with the fact that there's going to need to be a surgery. And I mean, let's face it, anytime you have a kid in the hospital, it's just awful, isn't it? There's, I mean, it can, be, it can be for a pulled tooth, and you're just, you don't want them to be in pain. And so in this case, he's just walking the hallway, and this is how he feels. And I want you to grasp for a moment the weird white lights of the hospital, because they're always that weird fluorescent color, aren't they? And everything smells just a little bit like bleach or something. And they're telling you, like, don't touch the floor. It's so dirty. But you're like, it's supposed to be clean. What's going on? So there you are. And you are in the lobby or you're in the hallway. And you see a guy come out of the room. And this is the question he's asking, the emotion that's there. Or maybe you're there and you're asking that question. Just put yourself in that hallway for a minute. What does it smell like? Kind of gross, I know. It's always how it goes. Can you hear the beep? It's always that weird hospital beep, right? Everywhere you go, of all the machines everywhere. 
and somebody's always talking about vacation. Seriously, walk down the hallway, there's always a nurse somewhere, somebody's talking about Jamaica or something. Always, I don't know, hospitals, weird. So with that in mind, let's read together John chapter nine. We're gonna start here at verse one. We're gonna read through verse 12. As he, that's Jesus, passed by, he's coming out of the temple now. The people want, they want to stone him, and so he's slipping away. He saw a man blind from birth. And Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it is a man like him. He kept saying, I am the man. I am the man. So they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus came and made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Praise the Lord for his word. Isn't that a funny exchange here at the end? Where is he? I don't know. It's great. Kind of a weird miracle, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to have somebody's sight restored. It's another thing to spit on him, sort of. Right? That's a strange thing. Also, Jesus is talking about weird stuff here. So they ask a question. Now imagine you're the disciples for a minute. Have you ever been in a weird conflict situation with your boss or with a, a parent? Have you ever seen your parent panic before? I did. My mom involved a bear, actual live bear. My dad involved Whitewater Rapids. This is the first time I'd ever seen him panic. Like, and I was, if you're a child and you see your parents panic, that's, that's just panic all around, isn't it? So, um, so the disciples are with Jesus. And Jesus is now in the temple. He's saying these grand statements. And the religious leaders of the temple are picking up rocks to throw at Jesus to kill him on the spot. How do you think the disciples feel? Who's next? Right? This is not. And you better deny him and live or stay with him and run or hopefully he really is the Christ. Like there's no in-betweens here because this is not just a fun thing or a game that we're playing. This is actually life and death now. And they're in the temple, and Jesus somehow sort of miraculously just slips away from the crowd. Like, they're like, yeah, let's kill that guy. Where'd he go? And they're ready to go, and so suddenly Jesus sort of just gets away, which is weird. And so the disciples now have gotten away with him. They're walking with him. What do they say to him? What would you say? Hey, Jesus, did we really have to go there in the temple? Could maybe we've done a podcast about it from a safe location and like sent that to everybody about the I am statements and the whole thing and like Satan's your father. Maybe we can like say, maybe like, let's make that a little more accepting. Like you're on the path of Satan as opposed to your father's Satan is controlling you. What do you think about that? They don't say any of those things. What do they do? They see this blind guy. Do you think they really care about the blind guy? Not really. They want to get back to the good teaching. They want to get back to what's comfortable with Jesus. What's comfortable with Jesus is not Jesus standing in front of all the leaders of the, of the day and putting a line in the sand and saying, I'm your king. Either you're going to bow to me or you're going to bow to your father, Satan. Which one do you choose? That's conflict we don't want. Instead, they want to change the situation. So, Rabbi, Rabbi, he's just told them, I'm divine. And instead, they're switching this around. Te teacher, uh, teach us about something. Here's a guy nobody cares about. Uh, did, did he sin or did his parents sin? That's a great, here's an awesome, let's have a debate. We'll start a fire. We'll cook some fish. 
Uh, it's always better when there's food. Uh, who's got the food? Judas, you're stealing money? Okay, don't worry about it. Okay, everybody else come. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about this. Blind guy, what do you think? Let's have a great, we're gonna have a seminar. Seminar! We'll, we'll record it. It'll be the best podcast we've had yet. This is what they want. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says the thing about being the light of the world. And as long as I'm in the world, there is light, but darkness is coming. What does that mean? He's foreshadowing he's, he's going to die. Not only that, he says, as long as it's day, we're doing a lot of work. Time is coming when this work's going to cease. And then Jesus does something bizarre. He spits on the ground. Now, imagine for a moment that you're the blind man. And you're sitting there. And you're at the temple. Why did you go to the temple? Maybe good baking. Right? These are the religious people. Hopefully they're going to give out 20s instead of just, you know, a dollar. That would be nice. Maybe somebody will get him a meal because he can't see. Maybe somebody will help him. Maybe at the end of the day they'll get him back to where he needs to go instead of just leave him there. That would be nice. Maybe a prayer from the priest. Who knows? Maybe God will do something. Or maybe you're desperate. Maybe you've begged everywhere else. This is your life and you just decided this is going to be my life. God's never going to help me. And so you just go to the temple and you're just at your wit's end. And then, and it's not the main gate. Jesus is slipping out. Jesus is escaping the crowd. He's not just walking through the main areas. So this is a guy who's forgotten and in the low areas. And then Jesus spits on the ground. How often do you think a beggar would get spat on? I bet you're pretty regular, don't you think? Especially when you're surrounded by the Princeton elite who don't really care about you and don't really want you by the back door. And so here's this beggar on the ground. And here, just like every day, here come the professors. And the students want to impress the professor and so instead of showing charity and love to this guy who's on the ground, they're going to use him for a theological debate. Nobody says, hey, I bought the guy a food. Can we have him sit with us? I know you often have prostitutes and people that party and tax collectors. Nobody likes them. The IRS agents of the day, if you're an IRS agent, God bless you. It's OK. But in this time period, these were like the traitors. You have the traitors stay with you. You have the, the, the gangsters stay with you. Can the blind guy eat with you? If they had done that, maybe the disciples would be seeing themselves. But really, they're just trying to make a debate out of a guy and his suffering. And Jesus, just like everybody, spits on the ground because surely he sinned, right? I mean, surely this guy, look at the state he's in. If he really loved God, God would have healed him. If he really walked in righteousness, he wouldn't be like this. It's probably his parents. He was born blind, after all. Maybe he was born in a nefarious way. Maybe there was a scandal. Maybe there was a twin, and he ate his twin. So he's a murderer from birth. I don't know. Who knows? But this guy, something went bad. And Jesus spits on the ground. What does Jesus do? He makes mud. So this is all happening, by the way, on Sunday morning. Saturday, actually, but it's the Sabbath. And so church is in, se in session. He's in the back door of the temple, back door of the church, finds the beggar, spits on the ground. Did you know it was against the law to make clay on the Sabbath, according to the Princeton elite? Because you'd be working. And so he's working to save this guy, which just makes them all the more angry. Spits on the ground makes this clay mud stuff out of spit, which is super gross, really. Let's be, and it's not COVID friendly. <laughs> and then he takes that, and what does he do? He rubs it in the guy's eyes and immediately sees. No. Rubs it in the guy's eyes. And what does he say to do? Go wash in the pool called scent. How, how do you get there if you're blind? Okay, thanks for that. Uh, 
I, I, seriously, like he's blind. Also, imagine this for a moment. Not only is he blind, but there's an assumption he sinned or his parents sinned, so nobody's touched this guy in a long time. And now somebody touches him at the point of his shame, puts the mud in his eyes. This may have been the first time that somebody intentionally touched his face in a long time. I mean, he's probably, you would imagine he's been led by the hand. He's blind by somebody that cares for him. He's alive. So somebody leads him to the pool. He gets to the pool somehow. Maybe it's one of the disciples. He doesn't tell us. We don't know how he gets there. But Jesus doesn't take him. Isn't that shocking? Jesus puts the mud on him and says, go, I'll see you later. And so the guy walks to the pool. He washes in the pool. And all of a sudden, his sight restores to him. And it's like he's a new person. He's so full of life and energy that the people don't even recognize him anymore. And they don't recognize him, I would think, for two reasons. First of all, he's seeing and he's moving around and he's doing stuff that's out of his normal character. But secondly, how many people do you think really saw him before? Really knew what he looked like? Could this be the guy? He's got the same kind of clothes. I've never looked at his face before. Jesus touches his face. How amazing. Sight is restored to him. Incredible. And he goes and he starts telling people, and they're, they're questioning, could this be you? He says, it's me. It's definitely me. Totally me. I'm seeing it. I see you, and you're not what I thought you looked like. This is great. And he's super excited. And then what do the people do? What do the Princeton elite do? They say, well, what, tell us what happened again. So he tells the whole story. And what's their question? Where did that jerk go? Where did that jerk go? Good thing I kept this stone from earlier. He worked on the Sabbath. How could he do that? Notice, they don't, still don't care about the guy. There's nobody rejoicing. I saw a video recently of a lady. Uh, she was from Argentina, I think it was. And she was running in the last Summer Olympics. And she had the best time Argentina had ever placed in a marathon. Do you see this video, anybody? It was the best time the country had ever placed. Now, she didn't win a medal, right? There's lots of other countries that win medals. And there's some amazing runners. Like those Kenya guys, amazing, right? They just, wow. But this lady from Argentina, best the country had ever done. And they greeted her at the line and handed her water, like they do, you know, and they're all shaky and stuff. And she collapsed by the fence, and nobody said a word to her because she's from Argentina. So not, nothing against Argentina, but there weren't, it's, you know, last Olympics, there weren't tons of crowds. and all kind of stuff, and so nobody really, she didn't win, so she had a victory ready, best in her country, ever. Nobody anything. And she's sitting there, she starts to cry, because she's proud, and there's nobody to celebrate. And then her cousin shows up, who looks like David Hong. David, stand up. <laughs> Listen, isn't he beautiful? Stand up. Look at him, he's beautiful. David, if David Hong is gonna celebrate something with you, I tell you what, your feet are gonna be off the ground. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. And so this little tiny lady, her cousin showed up, and he comes screaming from the sides, screaming past the security, yelling. He's celebrating. He lifts her up. He's shouting. He's crying. He's so excited. The victory that she's had. And it was, it was this just beautiful moment of the, of the excitement of a family. And that's the thing. Like the banner across it was like, family solves everything. You know, it was one of those kind of things. But how cool was that? And the emotion of it, and like, wow, this is great, and we can celebrate these great things. And this guy has been blind from birth, and now can see people for the first time ever, and nobody celebrates. And instead, they want to know, I need to know the direction in which to throw my stone. Because surely that guy, Jesus, I got to prove by killing him that he's not from God, and I'm definitely not a child of Satan. I'll definitely, I'm going to kill him. That'll show everybody. That's literally what they're thinking, because sin makes you stupid. It does. And so here they are, and they're questioning these things. Let's go on in the story. You ready? Verse 13. They brought the Pharisees, the Princeton elite, to the man who had formerly been blind, because that's what you do, right? Somebody's blind. You don't take them to the Red Robin for burgers and unlimited fries. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Instantly, you're thinking about it, I know. Are they open yet? Or, hmm. Nobody will see me making reservations. OK. 
Instead, they take him to the Pharisees. They don't take him to the priest. They don't take him to the priest. That's weird. They take him to the professor. And it's the Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud. <sighs> Can't make that mud. How dare you make clay? How dare you? That's like pottery. That's work. You have broken the Sabbath. That's what they think. So the Pharisees again asked him, how did you receive your sight? And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now you have a guy who was blind, who now sees from spit standing next to you. And your conclusion after hearing that he was healed is that Jesus is not from God, broke the Sabbath. Wow, that's wild. But others said, how could a man who's a sinner do such signs? I mean, he went to a pool called Scent. Like, hey, I'm, I'm going to even send you to a place because I'm sent from God. Like, go wash there, and they'll, everybody will know. Ha-ha, <laughs> it's poetic. They don't, nobody gets it. And there was division amongst all the Pharisees in verse 17. So they went again to the blind man. What do you say about him? This is Jesus, since he opened your eyes. And the blind man, who is now seeing, said, he's a prophet. Now, before this, what did he say about Jesus? Do you remember in verse 11? A man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes. He said, go. And he told me to wash, and I washed, and now I see. And now they're saying, what do you say about this Jesus? What does he say? He's a prophet. He's definitely from God, for sure. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight and they asked them, Is this your son who was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's a grown up. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he, he's of age, ask him. What a scene. What a scene. They can't even verify, verify that this is a guy who had a real miracle happen unless they call his parents to make sure. Do you remember what the original question was? Who sinned? Was it this guy or was it his parents? Because somebody definitely sinned. And now they need those same parents to verify. I guess it wasn't your sin. It must have been his because he went around. So come on in here. Tell us who did this. They're not even in the story. Could you imagine being the parents? You're basically brought into court by the professors. And you're supposed to answer for something Jesus did your son. And instead of rejoicing, you're trying to back away from it. Ask him. I don't know. That's great. Hey, sight. Way to go. Like that. What a weird scene. Isn't it funny how the stinginess of the Pharisees even breaks apart the family? There's no cousin. There's no David Hong cousin coming to lift this guy up to rejoice. And the very people who should be are afraid to do it. Does that sound like God? This doesn't sound like the Lord. And yet these people are trying to prove to everyone that they're definitely the, pro the, they are the professors of the Lord's economy. They're the professors of God's goodness. They're the ones who are going to prove that this Jesus guy, he's a sinner. He's awful. We're going to kill that guy because we're going to prove that for sure we know God and he doesn't. And look at the scene and the effects and the ripples that go through this of what's happening. It's amazing, isn't it? Who are you in this story? In our education system, we like to read ourselves in the story. So if you read uh, a story about Star Wars or watch the movie of Star Wars, you're going to for sure be Luke Skywalker or Princess Leia or Chewie because he's awesome. You know, but you're going to be one of the characters. And usually it's the main character and the hero. That's how we do stuff, right? And that's not a bad way to read. That's just how most of us have been taught to read. As we read this story, though, it's a little bit different. So who are you identifying with in this story? 
Who do you think? Looking at the English teachers. Yeah, Michael. I, I think we're more the spectators. Yeah, they're definitely some of it, right? So there's people that are at the temple who are just regular Jews coming to worship who are there now seeing some of these things take place. They've seen the Pharisees upset with Jesus. They've seen Jesus talking, Jesus saying bold statements. Some of the people have even believed Jesus. And they've seen some of the miracles he's done, kind of unsure, just spectating, right? Who's another option? Yeah. Okay, so the blind man person, the person with the disabilities, definitely an option. You could be that in the story, right? Okay. We all need to be healed. True. Who else? Who else is there? Yeah. Uh, Who? Parents. The parents are in the story. That's right. The witness is called in. That's a, a great option. Yeah. Did anybody identify with the parents? Not as much. They're kind of a side character, aren't they? But if you have a kid who's experiencing these things and you read this story, you're going to identify with the parents, aren't you? That's a great... Malachi, you're smart. Yeah, Liam. The disciples. Yeah, great. And they're walking with Jesus. They're not normal spectators. They already kind of believe in him, but they're not sure what's going on. This is, remember, this is before the cross and resurrection. So they're still figuring things out. Yeah, disciples, who else? Pharisees, Pharisees right? I, I would have made a great Pharisee. Well, Pharisees have a bad reputation, and they should. But at the same time, they were the rule followers. They were the ones, they were highly educated. They were ruling the, the city. A lot of them went into service because they wanted to help people. Sometimes it didn't work out that way. Sort of oppressed people. But a lot of the Pharisees were people who desired God and wanted to be close to him. Have you ever met a, a Mormon person who really, really, really wants to know God? Sure. And yet, just clouded and doesn't know him and all over the place in scripture, and can't. This is what they taught me, but I don't, I don't know, because they don't know God, but they really want to, right? Have you met people that are religiously, religiously aligned with a football team? <laughs> sure, right? There are people who are really into it, right? There are Chicago Blackhawk fans in the world, just totally led astray <laughs> in every way, but man, they, they live it, they believe it. Right? There you go. They're out there. <laughs> but yeah, so the Pharisees, they, they're, they're out there, and you can't identify with them. And I'm saying that because if you identify with them, that doesn't mean you're a failure. It means they're also people. Any other options, people that we can identify with? Jesus himself, right? He's the hero. Don't identify with Jesus, though, because you're not him. I'm just going to give that one. It's a free, whew, free. We, you know, now, now, as his servants, we can go and pray for people, and God heals people all the time. And man, that's amazing. And we should do that, shouldn't we? But at the same time, we are clear to know he's the Lord, and we're not him. So the things that he does does not mean we just get to walk into everything he does, right? Having said that, we also have his spirit. He's put his power in us. He's put his authority on us as his people. We're his. And when you do go into situations, you represent him like an ambassador, and if an ambassador says something, that's what that country says. So you are Christ, in other words, to the Mormon person, to the Blackhawk fan. You are Christ because you're speaking as a Christian to them about the Lord. That's all they got. Now, here's the best part, ready? Jesus even said, don't be afraid of what to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Don't be afraid. I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. Don't be afraid. I'm going to fill you with my power. The comforter, the counselor, he'll come to you. He's going to fill you with all knowledge and wisdom and power, and you're going to go do it, and it's going to be great. Now, disciple, ends of the earth, go for it. You got it. So that's good news, right? I'm not making that flippantly, but I'm saying there's, there's pressure there in a great way, and there's also not pressure because the Lord is the one who does all those things. But also, we need to be clear as we're reading the story, we, don't, we get to represent Jesus. We need him. Um, some people read this story, you know, Thomas Jefferson wrote out all the things he didn't like in the Bible, cut them out. You can see his Bible still at the Smithsonian, and uh, he just cut out all the stuff he didn't like. So you can make God exactly the way he wanted God to be. This is him. And people do that all the time, don't they? That's why I'm laboring that point a little bit.
So here's the disciples. They change the subject from this conflict in chapter 8 to get back to theology. It's unclear whether they really care about this guy or not, but that's what they do. Jesus, yeah. At the, let me finish at the end. Come tell, come tell me, and we'll, because we're going to talk about this next week too, okay? okay sure. It has to do with the contamination aspect of this. Okay, yeah. We'll cut, we're going to touch on that next week too, okay? Um, so, Jesus, we're not him. What does this story show us about Jesus? Yeah. He has tons of compassion. Yeah, absolutely. What else does it show us about Jesus? He's God. He can heal with spit. I mean, that's... Yeah. And he knows things beyond time. Who sinned? This guy or his parents? Oh, neither did. I know that because I'm God. <laughs> Here's the disciple ready for a debate. Well, let's think about this. They say, so. yeah, no, that you got it wrong. Uh, so we can display God's glory. Puh. Okay. And he makes the mud. He does this. Who, who else is he? If he's God, he's also creator. And he created people out of mud. Originally, Adam and Eve formed out of the dust. And he puts this dust-mud mixture onto this guy's eyes. Tells him to go wash. It's so cool how, if you can see it, he's recreating this guy. And fix those eyes. Yes. He's the ultimate teacher. He's the ultimate example of God's love and grace. He's the ultimate example of God's judgment. Who sinned? That's a judge question, isn't it? And later on next week, we're going to talk about that because Jesus talks about judgment and what that means. But we see all these things about judgment. You know what? I, the text doesn't tell us this specifically, but don't you think that this blind man was praying all the time? He's at the temple. That's where you pray. Don't you think he's asking God for help? And here's Jesus, who doesn't just overlook him. Everybody overlooks this guy. The disciples don't. They're the best, right? The disciples are great. They don't even really acknowledge him. They just use him as an example. And yet, Jesus knows the desires that he has. Jesus doesn't tell Judas, hey, give him the money. Judas was in charge of the money. So he, he could have done that, but he didn't. He just heals the guy. He doesn't even ask him, what do you want? He just heals him because he knows. And that's important. Our God knows. He knows our prayers even before we pray them. How good is that? The blind man, he's desperate. He's looking to God for help. He's at the temple. He needs somebody to guide him. He's in trouble. Maybe you identify with that in the story. Maybe you are just an onlooker. You're unsure. Pharisees say one thing. Jesus says another thing. I don't really know. I guess we got to figure it out. You know, what's really interesting here, too, is the onlookers are going to um, help figure out this story. So here come the Pharisees. The, the people bring this blind man who's been healed to the Pharisees, don't they? So in the court of popular opinion, we're going to figure out what's really happened here. I'm telling you that because we live in a day right now where the truth of the matter can be plain to see. Jesus Christ heals somebody with spit, saying, hey, everybody, I'm divine. I'm the Lord, and I'm here to save you. He spits on the ground. He heals somebody. It's a sign and a wonder for everybody to go, wow. You are the Christ. But instead, they're going to have a court of popular opinion. And they're going to take this guy aside and say, tell us again what happened. And they got a stone in their hand. Okay, that parents, what do you say? What does everybody else say? And everybody's afraid because they know. You know, we live in a time where the court of popular opinion is very strong. Did you know that Canada two weeks ago passed a law that now it is illegal to spread Christian myths uh, for homosexuals. If you speak to a homo homosexual person and you tell them about the gospel and about repentance and about living a life for Jesus and you have anything about biblical sexuality and that God has a standard, 
that's a hate crime. And you're liable to five years in prison. If you're a parent sitting with a child and you pray with them for the Lord to help them, it's a hate crime, five years in prison. If you're a pastor and you preach about biblical sexuality, it's a hate crime, five years in prison. So two weeks ago, I had a friend who's a pastor in Canada, and I was talking to him in Ontario, and all the pastors in Ontario, when the law passed on Friday, on Sunday, they preached on biblical sexuality. <laughs> and he said, I packed a bag, and I sat in my front of my house with my baby, he has one child, and my wife and I waiting for the lights. That's Canada. That's not Pakistan. That's not Iraq. That's not Syria. That's Canada. And who knows what will happen with that, right? But literally the law says Christian myths. Did you know in the court of popular opinion, if you spread Christian myths and say Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ is grace, Jesus Christ is our life, he's the way, the truth, and the life, there is no light with him, without him, there is no life without him, unless you repent, unless you know that he died and rose again, unless your sins have been satisfied by his blood, unless you believe in his resurrection, you will not live. You need to know him. If you say that, that Christian myth, five years in prison, what? We need to be ready. We need to be ready because this pharisaical court is here today too. It's here today too. And maybe right now in St. Louis, Missouri, we're not being dragged off to a prison, thank God. Or worrying or sitting in the front room wondering if there's gonna be lights. But the court of popular opinion, the court of social media, it's out there. And if you stand up for Jesus in your workplace, in your school, in your family, you're going to be ostracized. You're going to be outcast. You're going to be pushed out because, like the blind man, nobody wants to know it. But the heart of the matter is Jesus Christ, he is God. He's the Lord. He died for us. He rose again with his spit. He can heal with his blood. How much more? How much more with his blood can he wash us clean? And at the end of the day, how many times have we stood in hospital rooms or in hospital hallways asking God, Lord, why do I deserve this? What happened? I need you. You know, that same guy I watched in the hospital room, after he said, Lord, what caused this thing to happen? What did I do to deserve this? Then pleaded with God and said, Lord, if my baby will just be okay, I'll stop smoking cigarettes. If my baby will just be okay, I promise you I'll go back to church. If my baby will just be okay, I promise you I'll stop cussing, I'll stop cheating, I'll stop doing whatever you ask of me, I'll do it. Just make sure my baby's okay. And we live in a world right now who can see the miracles of Jesus, know his representatives, and the best they have is to say, Lord, why, why do I deserve this? And then plead with him to try to earn some kind of favor. Did you know that the Bible tells us that if you're in Jesus Christ, you are his? That we don't have to try to earn his favor by stopping or starting things, which there are bad things you should stop. Stop sinning, for sure. But at the same time, as we come to God, we don't come to him trying to work a deal with him. We come to him instead like the blind man, just sitting there. He already knows our heart. And Jesus just spits on the ground and Suddenly there's stuff in our eyes and nobody's even touched us at the point of our shame. And suddenly we feel the sensation of seeing clearly again. If you are here and you're identifying with the blind man and need healing, I'm telling you, you have a savior. His name is Jesus. His spit can heal you. His blood washes us clean. Cling to Jesus and say, Lord, I need you. My whole life, everything I am, I need you. Lord, I trust you more than I trust me. If you're a parent and your kid's in trouble and you know that there's nothing else you can do, come to Jesus. He's powerful. He's the one who can do everything. And he is our life. And as we come to him, we don't bargain with him to say, Lord, if you just do this, then I'll, I'll for sure stop thinking all those swear words. Instead, just come and say, Lord, I repent of all the junk. I have nothing. I trust you more than I trust me. And trust him with our kids. How amazing. If you're an onlooker and you're not sure, I'm telling you today, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He said he's God. If you don't know it, ask him.
and you might find a muddy, spitty mixture on your eyes, and suddenly you see. Because our God is so powerful and so alive that if you speak to him, I'm telling you right now, your eyes will be opened. If you ask him, Lord, I need you, your eyes will be opened. And then you say, Lord, forgive me. I trust you more than I trust me. Maybe you're a Pharisee. Maybe you're identifying with the right way to do things. Maybe you're thinking, if I can just do these things correctly, then God will accept me. Maybe we haven't seen a blind person for a long time. Maybe if there was somebody who had a miracle in our life, we wouldn't even really be able to recognize them because we haven't seen what they really look like. It's time, church, to soften our hearts with the social media judgments, all those things looming. Jesus just kept on. Our call is to follow Jesus, to trust him more than we trust ourselves. And there are people in all of our lives who are blind, who are maybe at the edge of the temple, who are maybe to their last moment. Do you know what their face really looks like? If God brought them into our lives, have we engaged them? Have we told them the gospel? Have we shown them Jesus? Have we represented him to them? Today is the day of salvation, isn't it? Let's be bold to trust Jesus more than we trust ourselves and tell our neighbors, despite whatever punishments may come, about the way, the truth, and the life, because he's good. Amen? Yes. Amen. I'm going to pray for you now. The Lord's with us. We're just going to take a moment of prayer together. I'm going to start us. Let's just one or two responses to the Lord. Next week, we're going to continue this story. There's more awesome things that will unfold. Why am I telling us this? I'm telling us this because at the end of the day, we trust Jesus more than we trust ourselves. And wherever we are in the story, he is our life. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you touch us in every area of our lives. Lord, even at the point of our shame. Lord, you heal us. You restore us. By your gospel, Lord, by your death and resurrection, we know you are our God. You are our life. You are our source. And so, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts today, that we would hear from you, that we would know you and see you, that our whole lives would reflect you, that, Lord, our trust would not be in our own strength or our own legs and our own ways of trying to manipulate you by, by making deals, but instead, Lord, we just trust you wholly. And, Father, with all our faults and failures and sin and brokenness in our own life, Lord, thank you that you heal us. So, Lord, we, we remember your gospel today that you, O oh God, you're our life, you're our source, you're our everything, and you make us yours. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Embolden us to be yours in every way. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else want to pray? Father, thank you that you've brought each and every one of us here today, specifically for a reason. Father, thank you for the message. Thank you, Lord, that, that each one of us is somewhere within that story. Father, whether we can identify with the, the blind man currently in our past, if we can identify with the Pharisees or the, the disciples, whatever it is, Lord, however many situations we can identify with and, and understand and relate to, Lord, thank you that, that you, through us, you in us, can make us like you, yes. Lord. Thank, thank you, you that that that's your desire, mm. that you don't want us to be the blind man mm. or the Pharisees. That's right. Yeah. Even the disciples, Lord, but you want us to reflect you. Yes, God. Thank you, Jesus. And that's possible only through you, Lord. That's, mm. that's good. Thank you, Lord. Thank Amen. You. Thank you, God, that, Thank you, Lord. that through your word Thank you, Lord. and through the teachings that Stephen and others give us, Lord, you reveal yourself. Yes, you do. And with that, you make, it, you make it even closer to us, Lord, that we can be like you, but only through you, not through anything we do mm -hmm. specifically, Lord, or earn. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, just moments before you healed this blind man, mm -hmm. you declared, if the Son sets you free, yes. you will be free indeed. Amen. And Lord, you, 
brought that into a reality for this man. You freed him from his blindness. Mm -hmm. And you brought him to a point where he could see the author and the perfecter of his faith. Lord, we want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. That you have set us free. Thank you, God. Mm -hmm. That, Lord, we were blind to sin. Mm. We were deaf thank to you, sin. Lord. Yes. We were selfish and self-centered people, mm -hmm. proud and arrogant. But you set us free. Yes. Mm. You opened our eyes that we might see the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. Mm -hmm. You unstopped our ears that we might hear the promises of the covenant. Thank you, Lord. And you've given us, Lord, your spirit. Yes. That we might have a stony, hard heart mm. changed into a heart of flesh. Yes. Yes. That we might have the disposition Thank of you, our Lord. lives, Lord, that was centered on self, changed. And now... We run to you, Lord, that you put within our hearts the highway of heaven. And so, Lord, we run to your thank glorious you, kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you that we can all say that you've caused us to see. <laughs> because you, Lord, stooped down. Thank you, Lord. And you brought the healing that we needed. Yes, we give God. you thanks. We give you thanks, God. We say glory to God. We give you thanks, God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Deeper into each of our situations, you look at us and you already know our need. You even see and know the roots of uh, the root of issues and things that um, that we may not even know or recognize. Mm. The smoke screens that we like to throw out there, Lord, you see through those as well. Yet at the same time, you also. Um, move and operate and, and work above all the other things, the schemes and the scams and mm -hmm. the agendas that, that others would have. And, and you move in confidence and you proceed forward with your kingdom. Mm -hmm. You move on. You, you deal with it and you move on and situation and Lord yet you also move according to your kingdom purposes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Abba Father, we thank you. You are the good God. Mm -hmm. In the midst of our trials and testing, you are good. That's who you are. You are good. And Abba Father, we thank you that if you did not withhold Lord Jesus, your only begotten Son from us, mm. yes. what else would you withhold? Yes. Thank Lord, we you. thank you for the realities and the truth of Roman A, where you are so for us. Mm -hmm. Who can be against us? That's yes, right. you are. So we thank you, Lord, for this body, for this message. Thank you, Lord. You're good. And Lord, right now, by your blood and the authority, in the name of our Lord Jesus, God, we just want to bind and cast down every work of the enemy mm -hmm. coming to steal from our health, Mm -hmm. to steal from our relationships, mm -hmm. our marriage, our finances, every work that yes, we coming against this body right now, yes. coming against every family here right now. Mm -hmm. In the name of Jesus, we just bind, we rebuke, yes. and cast down, mm -hmm. and we decree and we manifest every blessing that is available mm -hmm. to us through Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. You are king. good and perfect gift from Abba Father. You are good. Right. Thank so you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are for us. You are mm -hmm. you can't be against us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Lord, we pray for our neighbors in, in Canada. Lord, we pray for the Christians there who want to speak your word. Lord, let them speak with boldness. Protect them, God. Protect them, God, from bad laws. Protect them, Lord, from ungodly leaders. Father, I pray that you would save those leaders, God. That you would open their hearts, open their eyes like the blind man. Lord, spit on their eyes. Lord, that they can see you and bow the knee to you and know you. I pray for salvation for them. And Lord, that in every way, Lord, our neighbors in the north, that they would know your righteousness, peace, and joy. Father, for our own officials and our own government, God, Lord, help us to walk in righteousness. Lord, these times are volatile. 
Lord, in this time of public opinion seeming to rule everything, Father, let your word rule. Lord, whatever you say does not return to you void. And so, Lord, we look to you, Lord Jesus, for St. Louis, for our families, for our city, for Missouri, for the United States, for our world, for our brothers in Pakistan right now studying. Lord, we look to you in the mighty name of Jesus, that you, O oh God, Lord, that if you speak over them your righteous peace and joy, which we know you already have, Lord, it will not return to you void. And so we trust you, Lord. Elevate us, God to places where our gifts put us before kings, that we can speak your word clearly, no matter the cost. That, Lord, those people would know your word. They would know your standard. They would know your grace. They would know your gospel. They would know your love. They would know your peace, which comes through Jesus Christ, our King, our Lord, our Judge, our Savior. Lord, you are our God, and we serve you forever. May the peace of God fill your heart. May the grace of the Father May the perfect rule of the Son, and may the power of the Holy Spirit fill you. Amen. God bless you. Hey, let me encourage you, too, for our young people. Malachi, great comment today. That was excellent. Um, those were four awesome prayers today. If you are in sixth grade, and you cannot pray an awesome prayer like Mr. Mike Hayden, who prays an awesome prayer, or Frank, or Steve, or John, then I want to tell you right now, if you can say, Lord, we love you, it will bless the body. And the Lord has put all of us together that all of us, not just one gift, talk, I get to talk the most, thank, thank you for that, but not just one gift, that's not what builds us up. The works of ministry of the whole body builds each other up, that we together represent Christ. Amen. I cannot do it without you because we're to, supposed to be together. And that's not just about preaching, that's about the work of ministry, seeing Jesus in everybody. And so if your prayer as a sixth grader or a fifth grader or as a college person or as a 90-year-old or whatever in between, right, for everybody, if you love Jesus, if your prayer is just, Lord, we love you, it will bless the body. And I'm telling you right now because I know sometimes people are nervous to say something wrong. If you say something wrong, we'll help you and we're not going to make you feel bad. Right? Everybody Okay. All right, why am I saying that? The, we need to strengthen ourselves for the day to make disciples, to do what God calls us to. Amen, right? And the way we strengthen ourselves is together. Amen? All right, God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for coming today.